On today's episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring on Dr. Stephanie Estima to give you the complete breakdown on how to apply keto for the ladies out there. Let's do this. You know, without doing labs, and I see full value in doing labs, but a very crude measurement of whether or not your testosterone is normal is this week you should see a change in your libido. Your interest in sex should go up. Like, you know, I often joke, like I find myself like chasing my partner around the dining table. I'm like, let's go, you know, because this is the time where your testosterone's peaking and you should, you know, Mother Nature, she's like a wily smart minx, right? If you are having sex ahead of the time that you are ovulating, the chance that there is going to be a sperm and an egg that are able to meet for fertilization is going to be, you know, a higher. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Let's get into Keto for Women. Let's talk about the cycling women. What are some things to consider? Go as deep and geeky as you'd like for the cycling women doing keto. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the permission to geek out. That's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when we think about women who are still in their reproductive years, and this includes perimenopausal women as well, we want to be thinking about some of the different hormonal variations or the di- ever-changing hormonal milieu through these four weeks. And I say four weeks, understanding that some women, some of us are not exactly 28-day cyclers, maybe 29, 30, 32, 26, 27. You know, I'm, I'm breaking it up just for simplicity in terms of seven days, okay? So when we think about the first week of our cycle, this is usually the onset of the bleed, right? So this is the bleed week. And when we think about the hormonal landscape here, we know that most hormones have gone on vacation. So we have estrogen very low, testosterone is not there. We have uh, luteinizing hormones, progesterone's on vacation. The only hormone that is really still around is follicular stimulating hormone and FSH as it's abbreviated, follicular stimulating hormone, FSH. Uh, Her job is really just to continue to develop the follicle because there's going to be one lucky egg that is going to be released or developed that month for release. So this is a wonderful week for a traditional ketogenic macronutrient breakdown. So the way that I structure keto, and it might be very similar to yours, Ben, I'm not sure, but for women, I don't like the bacon, butter, and burger and repeat, right? I really do like there to be a lot of plant-based. So when you're sort of formulating and building your plate, you should see a plate of green leafy vegetables, ideally. So a lot of cruciferous vegetables I talk a lot about the brassica family and the value that, you know, consuming things like cauliflower and bok choy and broccoli and turnips, all of this huge breath, the sulforaphanes and there's compounds inside uh, the brassica family that actually help with estrogen, help the liver to detox, help with estrogen elimination. So 
for a woman, a classical ketogenic protocol for her in that first week, in that bleed week, might be 70% fat, about 20% protein, and then the fill is going to be carbs. So about 10% of that's going to be carbs. But we have to also remember that quantity and quality, and I'm sure you've talked about this on the pod many times before, people are like 70% fat, like, but you know, really like two tablespoons of olive oil are going to get you there. You know, when we think about the caloric value of the macronutrient fat. So we want to think about 70% fat protein as a general rule. When we're thinking about building our plate, the protein is about the size of your palm. And then the carbohydrates, of course, if you're having things like green leafy vegetables, very nutritionally dense, but not necessarily necessarily calorically dense in the way that fat might be. So I love that for the first week in that the first two weeks actually of your cycle, we call this the follicular phase because it's all about developing the follicle you are much more resilient to macronutrient restriction. So a 70-20-10 breakdown, 70 fat, 20 protein, 10 carbohydrate, you're essentially restricting carbohydrates in that week. So your body is very, it's much more suited for a macronutrient restriction. It's also a nice week to fast. So if we, I'm sure you've talked about fasting on the pod as well. I love, depending on the hormonal presentation of the woman, I talk about all the different types um, in the book, but this might be a nice week for for either an intermittent fast or a several day fast. You can kind of, if you're new to fasting, this would be a wonderful week to try it because we don't have progesterone, uh, which is our hormone that we see in the luteal phase. She's not around yet. And that progesterone stimulates your appetite. So it's going to be much easier for a woman to fast in the first two weeks of her cycle than it is in the, in the latter half. That's a Big tip right there. So if you want to start fasting or complete a a block fast three or more days, it's the first two weeks of your cycle that you can really maximize it and be strict with ketosis. So brilliant. Continue. Yes. So as we finish up the bleed week, so we finish up the bleed, let's call it four, you know, for most women, it's like five to six days. And then now we're starting to move into that second week. And I just call this the week before ovulation, because when we think about the purpose of your menstrual cycle, it's not to bleed, it's to ovulate. So, you know, sometimes I think the nomenclature, we have it a little, like we name day one as the bleed, but really ovulation is the main event. That's actually the point of your menstrual cycle is to release an egg, whether or not you want a child you know, like whether or not this is a goal of yours, that's what your reproductive system is designed to do. So in this week, we see a couple of hormones now starting to make their debut. The first is now we start to see estrogen. She starts to rise at towards the end of week one. And then she makes this astronomical, uh, the concentration of estrogen will go from, you know, in week one, I've seen it as low as like five picograms per deciliter. I was saying this to you in the pre-chat. And then in week two, I've seen it as high in some women as like 600 picograms per So we're going from five wow. to 600, right? So there's a huge change in the concentration of estrogen. And estrogen, when we think about her function, of course, it's a trophic, it's an anabolic hormone, it's designed for growth. So the reason why estrogen is increasing there is because we want to develop the follicle trying to get the follicle ready so that we can release the egg. The other hormone that comes up and kind of makes its like one and only debut is testosterone. Uh, Well, not not one and only debut. It's it's constant throughout the cycle, but the peak is in this week. So we see testosterone peak. And I will often say, you know, without doing labs, and I see full value in doing labs, but a very crude measurement of whether or not your testosterone is normal is this week you should see a change in your libido. Your interest in sex should go up. 
up. Like, you know, I often joke, like I find myself like chasing my partner around the dining table. I'm like, let's go, you know, because this is the time where your testosterone's peaking and you should, you know, mother nature, she's like a wily smart minx, right? If you are having sex ahead of the time that you are ovulating, the chance that there is going to be a sperm and an egg that are able to meet for fertilization is going to be, you know, higher. So the number one priority is survival, and that's what the body wants to do. So this is, just to be clear, this is the days 14 to 21. Is that what you're referencing here? I, no, a little earlier than that. So we, we ovulate somewhere between day 12 and 14 for most women. So I would say that we're right now we're talking about like day 6 to 13. Okay, 6 to 13. Okay, got it. So we see testosterone rising. And for women specifically, this is an important time at, well... I mean, it's always an important time to be thinking about muscle health and bone health. But if we take a, a long lens, if we're thinking about longevity for women, we want to be thinking about bone density and we want to be thinking about muscle mass. So ladies, my perimenopausal ladies and my menopausal ladies, we want to be thinking about how we can keep your bones heavy and how we can at least maintain your muscle mass or improve upon it. And there's two ways that you can do it. One is through resistance training, right? So we're giving a mechanical stimulus to the muscle to grow it. The other is chemically, and we can do that through the diet. So if you are if you are having protein, this is going to activate some anabolic pathways. One is mTOR, the mammalian target of rapamycin, like super fancy name. All it means is like it's a growth pathway, okay? Yep. And if you are having, you know, a certain amount of protein at every meal, you're going to be continuously activating that. So I like in this week to bring the fat down a little bit and pump up the protein. So I really like to bring the fat down from 70% that we saw in week one, maybe down to 50 or 40%. And then protein is about 40% of your meal. And then I like to just like oomph up the carbs, just a squeak. Like I like to bring them up to 20% because when you combine protein and carbs together, again, like carbohydrates, like the hormonal response to that is insulin. Again, insulin, even though I think sometimes it's been like demonized, again, anabolic, right? So it helps with the thyroid. It helps to bring substrates, you know, energetic substrates into the muscle cell for growing it. Mm -hmm. So I love this week for you to be increasing your protein. And then the next week you switch it off, right? Because we don't want these growth pathways on all the time. Because when you do that, then you, you sort of lay the landscape for, you know, everything to grow. And we don't want things growing all the time, like cancer cells, and we don't want all those things growing. So we want to be able to, I'll steal this from Dave Asprey. I just uh, interviewed him and he talked about mTOR as like a spring. So like we can push down on the spring, you know, so we like restrict protein, restrict carbs, restrict carbs. And then when you have protein, you sort of allow the spring to pop up. And then again, you can start to push down on it again. So I, I thought that was a really nice an analogy. So I'm, uh, I will credit it where it's yeah. due. Shout out to Dave. That's a brilliant analogy. I love that one. Yeah. So that's week two. And then week three. So this is now after ovulation. So now we've ovulated. There's um, another hormone that comes up. It's called LH or luteinizing hormone helps release the egg from the follicle. And now the egg, like the queen she is, is just kind of hanging around waiting for sperm. Right. Yeah. But now the entire hormonal landscape is going to change. Right. So now we are less you know, what we talked about fasting and macronutrient restriction in those first two weeks, these second two weeks, not that it's impossible, it's just more uncomfortable. And what I have found with 
you know, this is true for men and women. If something is uncomfortable and you're asking someone to do it all the time, you know, like the, the adherence to the practice is going to be much less than if it's a bit simpler and a bit more easy to integrate into everyday life. So just keep in mind that you can still fast. And there are ways that I talk about in the book that you can fast if you are, you know, someone who's estrogen dominant or that you are androgen dominant. There are different, you know, Uh, techniques that you can employ. But generally, we like to like kind of back off on the aggressive fasting, we like to back off on the aggressive macronutrient restriction. So that's so that's two weeks before the the bleed week, right? You want to, if you so for example, if they're doing if somebody's doing OMAD, right, the first two weeks, then you would kind of scale that back down to like a 16 eight, you would do more of an aggressive. uh, Yeah, and I would even I would even scale it down to like, you know, sometimes the week before, you know, in week four, which we'll get to in a moment, I'm doing a 12 12, because a 16 eight is too much for me. So you might find as a woman that even a 16 eight, and I find that that's very easy to do in the first two weeks, you may find, you know, depending on your stress levels, if you're homeschooling as I am right now, if you're, you know, working from home, you're spending hours and hours in front of the, you know, on Zoom calls and stuff, you may find that the 16-8 even can be a little overly aggressive as well. So for a lot of women, I'll say, you know what, just like, it's okay. Like give yourself permission to do a 14-10, like it's fine. You know, like the, you're still getting a lot of the benefits that you would on a 16-8. It's just, you're just allowing yourself a little bit more flexibility and for women in general, we want to be cognizant that we are much more sensitive. Like if we just think about the the mitochondrial concentration in the ovaries, it's 100,000 mitochondria per cell. So you compare that to a hepatocyte, which has 2000 mitochondria, you, you know, a myocyte, like a, a cell in the heart, you know, it's 5,000, 5,500, like your mitochondria are like your ovarian mitochondria are like your eyes. They are sensing the environment, whether or not you are aware of them doing that. So they are wow. very, very sensitive to changes in food and macronutrients, etc. So you don't want to piss them off. <laughs> you want to make sure that you are loving up on your ov- ovaries. So is that the highest concentration in the body? In the ovaries? In the bo- yes. What about for guys? Uh, for guys, I would, if I, I don't know this offhand, but I would, if I had to guess, I would say it would be the testes, but yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly. Yeah. I want to find out. That's an interesting question. Okay, cool. Interesting. So we're in week three now. So now what I like to do is, so I like to return to a ketogenic uh, diet. So that's 70, 20, 10 that I talked about. However, I like to add in resistant starches. And I am sh- I don't know if you've talked about resistant starches on the pod before, but I am such a huge fan of them, because, especially for women, because what's happening in week three and into week four is now we see progesterone. So progesterone, progestation, pro-pregnancy, that's our pro-pregnancy hormone. She's going to stimulate your appetite. So she's going to make you hungrier. She is going to slow down your bowels. So you may find that you are a bit more distended, a bit more gassy, not as often, like your bowel movements are not happening as often as you want. So we want to be thinking about, and then the other thing is cravings, right? So we always hear like women that are like, you know, chocolate's better than sex, you know, like I'll have the chocolate all day, every day. or some women also will say I have really salt, very salty cravings, like they want like the chips and that kind of thing. Umami cravings. Yep. Exactly. So a way to help ameliorate that is by integrating resistant starches into the diet. So really quick. Uh, no need to be quick. Go go deep into it. We, re- we really haven't covered res- resistant starches that much. So explain oh, what it is. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Okay, so a resistant starch 
you know, if you think about the name, it's a starch that resists digestion. So when you are consuming a resistant starch, it cannot be broken down by the microbiota in the small intestine, which is where your carbohydrates typically are broken down, fats, all that kind of stuff. What happens is these starches go unmodified and they will go into the large intestine. And now this is going to be a food source for the microbiota in the large intestine. Why is this important? Because in the chowing down of the resistant starch, your microbiota are going to give you a gift. They're going to give you a short chain fatty acid called butyrate. So if you're someone who's interested in getting into ketosis, of course, an SCFA is going to increase your levels of ketosis, right? If you have more butyrate, you're going to be able to get into ketosis a little easier. But the great thing about it is it helps with your sleep. So how many women complain about sleep in week three and four, right? They're getting hot and, you know, uncomfortable and they're waking up and they have more anxiety. So it helps with your beauty sleep. It helps repair the lining of the gut. So if you are someone who naturally has digestive issues and you find that those are like that's amplified in the in that second week of this, uh, the second two weeks of your cycle, you're going to find that supplementing with resistant starches, what they, they've been shown to do, butyrates specifically, is it helps with the hyperpermeability in the gut. So mm. normally when we look at the gut lining, it should be like nice tight junctions, like food and stuff can't get through. But if you have been under stress or you're experiencing anxiety or sympathetic tone or like- an Pesticides, ang- herbicides, molds. All the things, yeah. all the toxins, all the things. So you're going to start opening up those junctions. So butyrate helps repair that. So those are two big things that women- complain about, right? It's like sleep and cravings. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I've noticed specifically with keto is if you're a woman who's tried keto, what I found is often about week, like week one, two, they're like, oh yeah, I'm so good. And then week three, they're like, I don't know what it is, but I just want pizza. I don't care. Uh I don't care how many fat bombs I have. It doesn't matter. I just want carbs. And that is a distress signal from the, the microbiota in your large intestine, because women are so sensitive to changes in the nutrient composition of the diet that your microbiota are like, we're starving. We're getting no carbs. You're going to eat a bowl of spaghetti if it's the last thing we do. But if you feed them the resistant starches, of course, now they're fed, they're happy, and those cravings go away. And the resistant starches, do they kick you out of ketosis? Do they give you a big glucose spike? No, the great thing about them is that they're not broken down in the small intestine. So they don't actually count, you know, if we're if you're counting your carbs, they don't count towards your carbohydrate intake. And um, free carbs, what? Free carbs. Yeah, free <laughs> carbs. I know, it's so great. I will say you can get this almost. So I typically use like a green bananas or a green banana flour is a really good source of resistant starches. So if you have, if you know, like you put a green banana on your counter, like over the course of the week, it's going to kind of go yellow. And then if you leave it, it's like brown spots. And by the end of the week, it's black. So what's happening there is you're having resistant starches uh, they're becoming cleaved as the banana ripens. And that's what moves it from the green color to the yellow color. And of course, the yellow to the brown and, and the black. So green banana, or I actually like green banana flour, which is, um, I just put it in my shakes because it kind of has a banana-y taste to it. I heard I heard that you uh, used to say it was disgusting, but you had some people in your group actually enjoy it. <laughs> it's funny. I hide it. Okay. So I hide it in my shakes. So I've, I've run this keto, ketogenic program for several years. And I can't remember how it came up. I was like telling some, like maybe as a new member, I was like, oh, you don't want to drink it in water. It's like gross. And I had so many members like, oh my God, that's like the best way. I love drinking it that way. So I don't like it in water, but I go with what the market tells me. So like, my, you know, my clients were like, 
this is great in water. So you can have it in water. I hide it in a shake, but it's it, that's like a personal. <laughs> right. So whatever your preference is, go, you'll give it a shot. What else? What are some other resistant starches? Uh, green plantains. So like cousin of the bananas, raw potatoes as well, or raw potato starch. So you can get the starch, which is very, like you can find that in any grocer. And, and you can even have, even cold rice, truly. Like when we you know, heat up rice, we are cleaving all of those starchy bonds, like all those carbohydrate bonds, right? But then when you take the rice and then you put it in the fridge, there's like a crystallization process that happens and you form resistant starches. So a really nice thing for women, especially women who have trouble sleeping or, you know, maybe they're perimenopausal and they, they've been under like chronic low grade stress. And by that, I mean like child rearing and sleepless nights. And many of us right now are homeschooling because schools are closed and, you know, there's a lot of stress happening, a little bit of cold rice with maybe, you know, some MCT or olive oil or something in the evening is actually, you know, the rice will, it's going to kick you out a little bit of ketosis, but then you'll get right back into it over the course of the evening and it's going to help you sleep. Yeah. And that's, that's a good thing. So how much is this little rice? What would you recommend? Oh, I'd probably say like a quarter to a half cup of rice. Yeah. Like a nice little snack. That sounds good. I want some right now, actually. (laughs) Any other sources of resistance starches that you like? Those are kind of the big ones. If any other come to mind while I'm talking, those are the ones that I recommend the most. And then the last, the last part of the cycle is for the fourth week. So this like peak week, right? It's like do or die. We are having a baby or we're not. So progesterone reaches her peak here at about day 21, day 22. So right at the beginning of week four. And I actually, if you were to do a blood draw on a woman in this week, you will find absolutely everything is down. So you will find her blood glucose, glucose levels are down. Her amino acids are down. Her glutathione, her vitamin D, like all of the things because your body is literally taking all of your substrates for energy and nutrients and minerals and throwing it into your endometrium. It's like, we got to get this thing ready. That's fascinating. So if a woman did blood work that week and they, they see lower than usual numbers, that could be what's happening right there. Correct. Lipids are down. Like everything is down. Like your body is literally taking these things and putting it into the endometrium to be able to thicken up that lining. So this week I love to relax again on the keto and actually pump up the calories. So I do not think it is, and I know this can be hard. Like some women are like, more calories, like, you know, because we're, we're so conditioned to caloric, like, you know, eat less, move more. It's like, we have to always calorically restrict. We always have to, but I promise you, if you push back against mother nature, you are going to clear out the cabinet. Like you're going to clear out the pantry anyway. Like your body will drive what it needs. It is going to find a way. So you might as well nourish your cells with more green leafy vegetables, with root vegetables, with squashes, you know, whatever is in season or whatever other foods that you like to consume rather than because, and this is what happened to me. Like I was like, no, I'm like, you know, I'm a little man. I'm going to like push through it. And then I would like eat the cookies, the chips, the crackers, you know, like cleaning out the Ben and Jerry's from the freezer. And I'd be like, what happened? Like, what's wrong with me? And there's nothing wrong. There was nothing wrong with me. I was just not honoring you know, my female physiology, I wasn't honoring my own, you know, rhythm and cadence. So women, I like this week, again, to pump up the protein, pump up the carbs, maybe bring the fat down, but the total calories, I love to like, just, you know, pad another like 10 to 15% calories that the woman is normally consuming through the month. Mm, That's so good. I love that you shared that because that's what I tell my female clients as well. It's those five to seven days before the cycle to not worry about the calories. Actually, 
let's get out of ketosis. Let's have these, the squash, the sweet potato, the fruit. Let's intentionally get out of ketosis. And then once the cycle hits, that bleed week, you go right back into it. And you were probably miserable too when you were like, I got all the willpower in the world. I'm not going to have this. I'm going to stay in ketosis. And you, and then eventually you just cracked. Right, exactly. And it's funny because women have, you know, I, I was in private practice for many years and I just like women, we like to blame ourselves, right? Like we do a program that doesn't necessarily take into consideration our cyclical nature. And if it doesn't work for us or we can't maintain it, we're like, well, it's me like something wrong with me, or I don't have the willpower, or I there's something broken about me. And I, my hope with this book, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, metabolism and body composition, I talk about training on your cycle, supplementing all the things. But my hope is that it's a bit of a feminist book in that women give themselves the permission to say, okay, like, I am not a little guy, like, I'm not just a smaller archetype of a man with, there's nothing wrong with me. I just flow differently. Like, I just have a different cadence than you know, my husband or my brother or my, you know, you know, my accountability partner, you know, whatever it is. And that forgiveness and that softening into the fact that we are different and we have to honor that difference and celebrate it. But it's a beautiful thing. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. Agreed. So, okay, that was such a masterclass for the cycling women. Is there anything else they should know before we move on to postmenopausal women? Yeah, my my biggest piece of advice is the more that you learn to listen to your body, the more you'll actually like, so I'm, I'm providing guidelines, but you might find that you really like to increase your fat in the week before your period. So these are, you know, good guidelines that I've derived from, you know, 16 years in private practice and thousands of women online. These are sort of the best practices that I have extrapolated from that data. But you might, you know, this that doesn't mean that you have to do it exactly my way, right? So you are an individual, unique and beautiful. So like, feel free to play, like feel free to like, say, I'm going to give myself like four months and play with a couple different things and see how I feel because that's actually you know, when you start to develop a better relationship with yourself and learn how to appropriately respond and care for yourself, I mean, that's the big goal, right? Yes, weight loss. Yes, all those things. But when you start to really just feel good in your skin, like that's, that's the thing. That's the holy grail that I think I would want all women to be able to, um, to achieve. Amen. Uh, That's, that's what it's about. It's not about weight loss. It's not about tackling a symptom it's about getting to the cause and developing an in this relationship with your body i love that because i was i was um a personal trainer for many years i used to own a crossfit gym here in miami and i used to preach that whole eat every two to three hours you know get into a calorie deficit and then i realized there's really i'm doing my clients a disservice it's a real distraction to what really matters which is developing this relationship with the body understanding cellular health so i love that you teach it this way couple more follow-up questions before we move on to the postmenopausal ladies out there. What are some ways to track the monthly cycle? Are there some apps that you recommend? I use Clue. I know that there are many out there though. So there, I mean, you know, if someone's listening and they're like, God, this is like too much information. I don't know where to start. The first thing that you should do is get information about where you are in your cycle. And I didn't track my cycle for years. I had no idea. I was like, I think I'm supposed to like sometime in the next week. So it's really, you know, for you to know the days, right? Like how long is your cycle? How long does your period last? And then you can start tracking within the app often like Clue. I really like it. They have, um, you know, like what's your skin like? What's your bowel movements like? What's your 
mood? Like what's your energy? Like, so you can start tracking and you can start to understand your own pattern, right? So, you know, women, we all have pretty much the same parts, right? But we are all going to operate slightly differently based on our genetics and our environment and our experience in life and our epigenetics. So we want to be really having a good understanding of what our own cycle looks like. So the first action step for anyone is tracking your cycle and really understanding the ebbs and flows. And you'll start to be able to see as you're in your cycle, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm feeling a little bit more, you know, sprightly today. And maybe that's because I'm in week two and, that, you know, or maybe I'm feeling a little bit more weighed down and I'm tired. And I remember there was, it was a couple of months ago, I was like, I was doing leg, it was a leg day for me and I was training and I was like, I don't know what the hell it is, but I'm just bagged. Like I usually do, like I do my four sets and I do my thing. And I went, I was like, where am I again in my cycle? I went in and I was like, oh, day 27, Uh, that's why. (laughs) But if I didn't have that information, I would have been like, what's wrong with you today, Steph? Like, why can't you just like punch out this damn workout? Like we planned this, you know, like you have this like internal narrative where you're like, just do it. But Uh when you have the permission to rest or you have the you have the understanding of where you are it can give you a lot more information in terms of what you need to do to respond to yourself appropriately Mm, well said so if that happened seven days later you would have been beast mode yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) one one more question is um okay what about the the cycling woman who did 28 days straight keto she got fat adapted she's you know having 0.5 0.8 ketones but she might be still insulin resistant type 2 diabetes and of course this is not medical advice at all but should they limit the carbohydrates and have more protein how would they do the keto the i call it keto flexing the carb flexing Yeah. So if someone has a metabolic, if there's some metabolic derangement, like there's type two diabetes, or even if she's pre-diabetic and she has, you know, metabolic syndrome and there's, I would still want to be imparting the therapeutic intervention of that 28 days. And she might want to repeat that. So that cycle can be repeated one or two. I have often found women uh, in my program when they have finished the first cycle, they're like, you know, I still feel like I need to go at this again. So you'll kind of know at the end of that month, you say, okay, I have a little bit more weight to lose or, you know, I want to, I want to improve my insulin sensitivity. So you can, of course, do your, you can redo your labs, like your fasting insulin, your fasting blood glucose. Uh, hopefully you have a CGM. So you have a bit more mm-hmm. uh, information. Which is a continuous glucose monitor. If you're wondering what that is. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So uh, you can also repeat that month. And I have often for women who are, you know, uh, if they classify as obese based on their BMI or their waist to hip ratio, then we will repeat that 28 day again. And up to three cycles, I have found some women can find, you can find massive benefit up there. And then that's, you know, if we talk about three cycles, it's about 12 weeks, mm-hmm. right? So if we're talking about, you know, becoming fat adapted, that's about the drop range. Like maybe it's eight to 12 weeks for most people is where we see that flexibility in being able to meander between being glycolytic and lipolytic uh, relatively simply. So you can do that, you can repeat it. And then once you are, you know, you've sensitized your cells a little bit more to insulin. And you'll know that by taking your fasting insulin. Uh, You'll also know that with your blood glucose as well. And you can also do challenges. Like I would give my um, clients, like we would do... um, either an oral glucose tolerance test, or I would just have them wear a CGM and then they would have a meal. And then we'd look every half hour, we'd take a look at their uh, blood glucose. So let's say that someone had like a preprandial or pre-meal blood glucose at like 
call it 85, you know, milligrams per deciliter, 90. At the two hour mark, I at, at least want their blood glucose to be under 140 at the very least, right? Ideally, it's, a, it's back down to like 120. So it, you can do little tests like that too, right? So you can like eat a meal and then you can look two hours later and say, okay, where is my blood glucose now? Is my blood glucose still up really high or is it starting to fall? So there's also little like little tests that you can do as well. Yeah, I love that. It's experimentation. So that's based off of an oral glucose test, not based off of just a regular meal. You can just do it with a meal. Like I would do an OGTT, but you can all you can do it with meals as well. So you might have like maybe a carby meal. You can have like a protein and carb bolus and then sort of watch how your body responds to it as well. So you don't need to have like the the like the glucolas like the it's like Oh yeah. Glucola. That sounds disgusting too. It's gross. But you can but you can just have a meal and, and look at it that way as well. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician. I really hope you geeked out with us. Uh, she's so much fun. Go subscribe to her podcast. Go get her book, Better Body Book. We'll put a link for that down below in the notes of this podcast. Go show her some love on Instagram. Go show me less, some love on Instagram. Uh, her Instagram handle is Dr. Underscore Stephanie. Mine is at the Benazadi. So if this was a helpful episode to you, if you got value from this, text it to a friend. Text it to somebody you feel like they could get value from this. Post it on your social media. And if you want to watch the video interview with Dr. Stephanie from this interview you just listened to, you could find that on our Keto Camp YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Keto Camp, and you could check out that video interview uh, now that you listen to it. I, I have found that repetition is the father of learning, and it really is several times it needs to be repeated before it really sticks and lands. Uh, I also want to encourage you to leave the show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, take a screenshot, send that to support at ketocamp.com, and we will reply with a gift, which will be my Keto Flex Cookbook, which retails for 21 bucks. You'll get that for free. Support at ketocamp.com. Submit your review, screenshot of your review there, and we'll give you that gift. I want to thank you so much for choosing the Keto Camp Podcast. You'll hear me on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein.
If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.